Well, good morning. <clears throat> Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you that we can gather in your presence with brothers and sisters as we sing these songs, as we uh, take the Lord's Supper, as we listen to your word, as we pray together. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be with us, to encourage us. Lord, on this journey is that song um, we just sang about, Lord, um, a song where we realize that in this world there are troubles, there's burdens, there's the fall, there's our own sin, there's the sin of the culture, the world, the flesh, and the devil. But Lord Jesus, you have won a great victory, as we also read about. And so, Lord, give us that hope, uh, give us the power, uh, bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going back to Exodus this morning, and uh, I guess there's like, as different ministers come in, there's different sermons, so it feels like a potpourri of, of things. But Exodus, just to review, and if you're new to the church or new to the Christian faith, Exodus is a book about God's redemption. It actually means the way out. And God has provided this way out uh, through the hand of Moses as he worked those ten plagues with, each, with Israel being there in bondage in Egypt. And this story we're reading today is some maybe 350, 360 years after jo Jacob had brought uh, his family of 70 down uh, to Joseph, who was there in Egypt. And so uh, you remember um, that God brought them out by that final last plague, the death of the firstborn um, and the Passover lamb that saved the Israelites on that night. And then the Lord uh, allowed them to, it really brought them out by his hand. And so now we are, uh, the next little chapter about uh, Israel there with the army crushing in on them and waiting basically for God's deliverance again. And it says a lot about the nature of the gospel and the nature of the Lord. He delivers us ultimately by faith. All those who have believed in Jesus are delivered by faith. But then the Christian life is a series of deliverances, isn't it? As the Lord uh, breaks us from sin, as the Lord sanctifies us and continues to keep his children from point A to point B. So, uh, hear the word of the Lord as we look at Exodus chapter 13, uh, 17, all the way to 1431. So we're reading some big passages this morning, but that's good because it gets us uh, in the word and these narratives are beautiful. So hear the word of the Lord. <clears throat> when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. <clears throat> and the people of Israel went up and out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you 
and you shall carry up my bones with you from there. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Haroth and between Migdal and the sea, in front of baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea, for Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. <clears throat> when the king of Egypt was told that the people had died, fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants were changed toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, and he took his army with him, and he took 600 chosen chariots, and all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And the Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Haroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt? that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the angel of God, <clears throat> who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the hosts of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waves were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. 
and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before the, for Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all of the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. This ends the reading of God's holy word. So in May of 1940, the British and the French army was backed up against the English Channel at a place called Dunkirk, France. Maybe you've seen that movie, Dunkirk, a few years ago, and it highlights this event. There were some 400,000 British and French troops. They had been pushed back by the German army, by the Panzer uh, tanks, and they were waiting there on the beach to be rescued. It was a dire situation. They were waiting, but hardly any boats could get to them because it was too shallow there. And in the movie, you just see all these troops lined up. And then the German planes were coming down and bombing them. It was an awful situation. England was just, you know, what, 20 miles across the way, but they couldn't get there. They were stuck. They were uh, up against the rope, so to speak. And so seeing this desperate need and hearing about it, Prime Minister Winston Churchill made a call for any, any citizens with sailing vessels, with boats, to join in the war effort. And literally hundreds of fishing boats, ferries, barges, tugboats, you know, sailboats, normal citizens started going across to rescue the troops. It was a race against time. And ultimately, something like 338,000 troops were rescued from May 26th to June 4th in that period of days. And this is when uh, Churchill delivered his famous Fight on the Beaches speech. You should go listen to that uh, on YouTube. Um, he says, you know, we shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost shall be. We shall fight on the beaches, the fields, the streets, the hills. We shall never surrender. Ultimately, no turning back. That was the attitude. And ultimately, we know that 
the allies prevailed. In the passage today, we have something like three million, they believe, three million Israelites there on the beach by the Red Sea with Pharaoh and the Egyptian army pressing in on them. What will they do? A lot of them wanted to turn back. A lot of them said, let's go, let's go back. It was better in Egypt. We want to serve the Egyptians again. And you know, all through the wilderness wandering, they, they cried for that, didn't they? The food was better back there, right? But what we have in this passage is, despite their attitudes, despite their desire to turn back, God has another plan. And God wants them to continue on. Really, no turning back. Go forward, Moses. What are you doing? Get, tell the people to go. You know, you and I, we're a lot like Israel, right? They are really a picture of us in the Old Testament. Uh, God has saved us. He's delivered us. But sometimes we just want to turn back. Maybe we want to turn back to our old idols, our old sins. Uh, the Christian life is hard. There's trials. We've been through this COVID year, still going on in some ways. Uh, there, there may be deaths in your family and, and just suffering. And it, it, you begin to think that, like, you begin to become hopeless. But the Lord would have us press on. The Lord would have us continue to follow the Lord Jesus, leaving behind our sin, our old ways of thinking, our selfishness, our idols, and continuing this life, this journey, you know, uh, to the eternal city, to the new heavens and the new, new earth that the Lord is going to bring about. The Christian life is a journey from point A to point B. Our sin wants to, us to turn back like Lot's wife, right? Looking back. Like Peter, who was walking on the waves and uh, looking at Jesus. And then when he looked at the waves and all the trials, he began to sink down, right? Or at the end of uh, the Gospels, when he denied the Lord three times. But we have the Lord continuing to rescue and call us back. And so the Apostle Paul, we read earlier, he desires for the church to press on. He says, not that I've already obtained it or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what God is calling us to. That's what he called Israel to, and that's what he calls us to do, to go forward following the Lord, pursuing this, this uh, Lord that has given us the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to break this down with... Uh, Three things. How do we keep going? How do we keep going towards the Lord's goal of glorifying Him, of this journey we're on to worship Him and to realize that this is only a moment that we're here. And we are to continue to go forward as a people, as individuals, and as a church body. And so the first thing is remembering God's big plan. 
remember God's sovereign plan. It's interesting as you look here in chapter 13, we have this mention of Joseph's bones. Uh, Joseph had made this vow to his sons, and he said, you know, but right before he died, you know, I'm going to die here in Egypt, but take these bones of mine back to the promised land, back to Canaan. Why? Because he remembered that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, had this promise from the Lord that he was going to give them that land in Canaan. He says this, For God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. That's Genesis 50, 25. And so now this period of time is like 360 years after that. America wasn't even a country 360 years ago. What does this say? It says that those people down there in Egypt were continuing to remember the covenant. They were remembering the promises of God for centuries. And so when it comes to this idea of, of, of Joseph's bones, you might think, well, that's, that's kind of a crazy thing. Why is, it, is this just, you know, like a memento or something like that? No, it's God had promised that this land, this promised land, was going to be Israel's. And they were to take those bones back as a remembrance that God is faithful. Don't forget the Lord. So how do we keep going? We remember God's big plan that he has promises from centuries, millenniums before that this God that we serve is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are to continue to remember the beautiful promises of Abraham. We are all part of that family. It's not just that promised land, that section of land over there near the Mediterranean, is it? It's now the entire world that God is going to make this whole place a place where he is going to be praised and worshiped when he comes again. And so we are to remember what God has done in the past. Look to the big picture. Look back. Remember. That's what really what we do every Sunday here is we remember, we read the word, we remember God's promises, and that helps us go forward. Even in the dark times in the present, right? We know that God is faithful in the past. And we know that that same God is going to bring us through even in desperate times we may be feeling right now. The second part of that sovereign plan, point one, is this hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And it's mentioned about three times in the passage that God is acting and God is going to harden the heart of Pharaoh. And if you read Romans 9, you know, that's another passage that explains these, these ultimate things that God is doing, the, the predestination, the sovereign salvation plan of God. But one thing we have to remember is that God continued to give Pharaoh opportunities to repent. Moses, God's spokesman, is coming to Pharaoh time and time again and basically presenting the gospel of his power and his judgment through the plagues, right? Ten of them. And he still continues to go against the Lord's will. So as you think about this idea of hardening, uh, that God is sovereignly doing this, you also have to remember 
Pharaoh had opportunity to repent. But then at some point, God takes his uh, mercy away from him. And he goes the way his sinful nature wants it to go. And he hardens his heart like a stone. So God hardened his heart, but also Pharaoh. There's this idea in the scriptures of God is sovereign and man is responsible. These are mysteries. We don't really know where they all interact, but this is the God of the Bible. He is sovereignly calling, sovereignly predestined. But what we need to know right now in the moment is this is the day of salvation. We need to repent. So when you see a passage like this about God hardening their hearts, it's like you might think, oh, well, this is crazy. Like, you know, what, what responsibility do we have? You know, like God is just going to do what he wants. And this is a weird God that would do something like that. Well, it's there to show us not to be like Pharaoh, not to be like the Egyptians, but to repent and believe uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the point of this is God brings about the victory. God brings about the victory. Uh, so the sovereign plan of God in both his promises from before with Joseph and also how God is powerfully working and delivering by hardening Pharaoh's heart and then bringing about uh, his glory through the judgment, that is all part of his plan. And that's the same God that we serve yesterday, today, and forever. And so what keeps us going? Looking back at the promises, remember that God is ultimately sovereign and he has a plan, even though we might not be able to figure it out at that moment what's going on. He has a plan and so Exodus is pointing to this ultimate plan of the, of the Lord. And we now know more because we are on the other side of the cross and the resurrection that the Lord Jesus Christ is that ultimate uh, picture of judgment and grace and mercy. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, it was that coming together of God's great justice and God's great mercy and grace mystery, but beautiful. Secondly, how do we keep going? Follow God's guidance. Follow God's guidance. So in the, in the, in the uh, narrative here, we have this, the picture of God's guidance in a very real way. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. It says in uh, 13, 20, 21, 22, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. They might travel by day and by night. And it did not depart from before the people, and it did not depart all through the wilderness years. And so here is an active God guiding his people 24-7, leading them, and then when the Pharaoh's army was pressing on, we have the angel of the Lord uh, in 1419 who moved from before them to behind them to protect them. So what we have here is a supernatural event that God is protecting his people. He's shielding them from Pharaoh's army. Now, for us, you know, does this mean we should kind of look around at the clouds and kind of you know, try to figure out what to do. Well, now we have God's word. 
and his revelation. And we have his Holy Spirit as a 24-7 guidance with us all the time to comfort us, uh, that we would uh, be, uh, realize who we are in Christ, uh, that he can, comforts us, he uh, reminds us of Jesus, he convicts us of our sin, he is with us uh, to give us his peace in the midst of trial, in the midst of confusion. Uh, he gives us his wisdom. And so this is what we have now. And then also, how else does he guide? He, he does that by his word. And so in verses 1 to 4, God tells Israel to change directions. It says here, the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Heroth between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zaphon, facing the sea. What's going on? Should they go in a straight line from, you know, Ramses or wherever they were in Egypt, you know, to Sinai, uh, you know, kind of by the sea and then down? And basically, uh, what the Lord says is if they do that, the Philistines who were encamped by the sea are going to fight against them and they're going to get scared and they're going to want to go back. So the Lord has a second plan and it's a brilliant plan. It's a military plan, and he's going to set the, the perfect ambush trap. And so what he does is uh, he tells them to go this different way, to turn back and go a different way. And Pharaoh sees them, and, and like they're out in the open. We're going to get them. Like, we've got it. We've got them, right? But instead, it was right there beside the Red Sea. And Pharaoh didn't know about God's plan to, like, Make a, make a dry land in the middle of the sea. And therefore, he leads them right into the trap. And the waters, you know, are up on, a side, up on their sides. And if you saw the old, uh, uh, you know, Ten Commandments movie, you know, you know about Charlton Heston going through. That's it's like an amazing, even now, it's like an amazing scene. Even without CGI and everything else. And... He sets the perfect trap, and then he brings that water back upon them, and they are defeated and drowned into the sea. And so, the point of this is, is like, it was a weird plan that they probably didn't quite understand at the point, you know. And to some extent, that's often how God's word is. It seems weird to the moment. Why? Why do this or that? Why love my enemies? Why pray for those who persecute me? Aren't, shouldn't I just stand and like not love those people who don't agree with me? But the scripture is saying, no, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those, you know, politically speaking, maybe you're on the other side of the aisle from you. We're to love those people, pray for them, right? Even if we don't agree about a lot of different things. That is our calling and that is what the Lord Jesus is calling us to. But in our sinful hearts, it seems weird. It just seems hard, okay? But this is God's word. It reminds us again, we need to trust him and not ourselves. We need to repent, right? And keep loving and keep going forward because this is God's word, even though we don't totally understand everything about it. To some extent, that's what Israel is faced with right here. That's a different way to go. We shouldn't go that way. That's the long way, but that's what God wanted them to do. And ultimately, the guidance here is through a person, Moses. 
who's the shepherd leader, who's the general at this point, who's leading the charge, you know, into battle for Israel with his staff. And so God has given Moses to Israel as a special prophet, special mediator. To some extent, all those offices of the Lord Jesus, prophet, priest, and king, that was Moses back then. He is a picture of the Lord Jesus. And he is God's mouthpiece with God's staff to rule. And it says a lot about how good our Lord is. He gives us shepherds. He gives us rulers. Um, not only his Holy Spirit and his word, but he actually gives us people. And this is a direct connection through the church. That God has given us in this body different leaders, right? Who lead, who lead us, who shepherd us. Both men and women, spiritual leaders in our life. Mothers and fathers in the faith who've gone before us that have wisdom that we don't have. And God has given us a church leadership. In Ephesians 4.11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind or doctrine, by human cunning, by, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What Paul is saying here is that God's gift to the church is not just the Holy Spirit, not just his word, but also people on the ground with us, spiritual leaders, other believers, leadership in the church to encourage us and help us in the battle, to help us as we march ahead from point A to point B. So one question is, do you have God's leaders in your life? You know, are you putting yourself in front of them? Are you calling your elders and deacons and women in the church leadership on the phone and like, Hey, telling them about your life, your struggles, praying with them. This is, this is what God is calling us to do, that we can't do this by ourselves. It's not just, it's not enough, is what he's saying, just to have the Holy Spirit and just to have the Word. He's saying you have to have leaders, you have to have other people on the ground with you in your life. And so kids, students that are here, um, I think this, a lot of us have heard this uh, Statistic, two-thirds of kids that grow up in the church, covenant children, when they get to college, they leave. After college, they leave the church. Some of them come back after they get married because they're like, what am I to do with my life now? And they, God's baptism basically like chases them down in the Holy Spirit, and they come back to church. But a lot of kids leave the church, and then they don't come back. And I would say... <laughs> I would say it's probably those who don't have close connections with church leadership. Those who don't have like a good Sunday school teacher, right? Or adults who love Jesus in their life. Okay, people like if you don't, kids, if you don't put yourself out there and go to Sunday school and go to youth group, you're going to become one of those statistics. Don't do that. Uh, so be consistent. 
uh, put yourself out there. They, they love you. They want to help you. I was walking up the drive, and John Daly was teaching the youth Sunday school. It was awesome to see. Uh, Doug was over there. So put your, continue to come, continue to go to those events so you can hit Terry Carmen with a piece of, I don't know what it is, but wherever they're going. Um, it's like a jousting, like foam thing or whatever. You can just hit them. Um, tell them I told you to. Uh, so this is crucial that we, we have to be humble to like be under church leadership. Uh, it's part of how God wants to use his people and use his church. And so this is a plug for small groups. This is a plug for consistent church attendance. This is a plug for um, praying for your leaders and interacting with your leaders and calling your leaders to pray for them and to love them and, and to encourage them and uh, be in their life and let them be in your life. Then the last thing is, how does God help us press on? Rest in God's victory. Rest in the Lord's victory. Um, this is the last thing we see. God gives this amazing deliverance. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong wind all night, made the sea dry land. The waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea and all Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then 2830, the waters returned, covered the chariots and horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. What is, what's Israel doing here? Nothing. They are watching. They are resting in the power of God. They added nothing to this victory. This is the Lord's victory. Verse 13 and 14, fear Moses said, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Friends, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. The good news of the gospel is, is that we are all <laughs> on that shore and we've got the burden of sin and destruction coming. And our only hope is to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his death on the cross as a substitute for you and I, and his resurrection. That's the, that's the good news of the gospel, just resting in that, receiving it like we talked about in the Westminster Confession, the confession today. Resting and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't do anything. We believe in what Jesus has done, what has already been done to us. And this is what gives us great joy and great hope. Because if, if Moses said, okay, everybody stop, turn around, you know, get out your pots and pans and start battling those guys, they're dead. The Lord works our salvation. We have only to watch the Lord will fight for you. Just be silent and rest. 
And so this is the beauty of the gospel. And this is the main thing about how do we press on? We continue to remember that the victory has been won in the Lord Jesus. And by faith, we are in him as he went through the waters of destruction of God's judgment and was risen from the dead for our salvation and our justification to save us. We have nothing to worry about. We have victory in Jesus. Press on, press on. We have victory with our Lord. This is what God is doing. And so, you know, how do we go forward? Ultimately, he's remembering that. Seeing the great power of God in the Lord Jesus Christ every day, every moment. You know, as you are struggling, as you are doubting, as you are forgetting, as you're struggling with sin patterns, repent, remember the Lord Jesus. He won the victory for you. He is going to help you. He is going to continue to, to deliver you. Have hope in that. And so at the end of that Churchill speech, um, he, he basically says um, that uh, he believed that the British colonies in the new world would also fight all around the world against the forces of evil. And that ultimately he believed that they would carry on the struggle until God's good time, he says. The new world, with all of its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. And I thought, wow, that's a, isn't that what the Lord Jesus has done? He, he is that new man. He is that, the new Adam who has ultimately delivered and crushed Satan and sin and death and everything else. And we only have to wait for the rescue. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that we have such a great Savior who has delivered us from the power of sin and death by his blood shed on the cross for us. Lord, let us rest in that. Give us joy in that. Let us proclaim that to neighbors and friends and family members who don't know that hope. Lord, we are here a short time. Let us be a people that looks to you for your guidance who press on with this beautiful good news of the gospel. Give us joy in this journey, and we pray all that in Christ's name. Amen.